Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Nicole Goebel, the host of the Bodies of Horror podcast on the Anatomy of a Scream Network, where every two weeks, she and a guest dive into the interse- films that exist at the intersection of disability and horror. Welcome to the show! Hello! Thank you so much for having me. I had the recent joy of being on your show, so I'm so glad that you're here on our show now, because your podcast is awesome, and I had such a great time talking about the taking of Deborah Logan with you. A very different, a very different one. But for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with your podcast, can you tell us a little bit more about it? I know I gave a little bit of a log line in the in your intro, but can you tell us a little bit more about the podcast? Sure. So Bodies of Horror is a bi-weekly podcast that looks at various horror films through the lens of disability. So we're looking at films that have, you know, obviously characters with disabilities. Uh, you know, either explicit or sometimes we go coded and uh, disability related themes um, as well. So we cover a whole smorgasbord of kind of related topics, but all through the lens of disability and looking at all kinds of horror. We've done your classics. Um, we did Freaks. Because, I mean, obviously, yeah, you kind of have to if you're doing disability and horror. And Frankenstein all the way to uh, the taking of Deborah Logan. So, yeah, a a whole kind of swath of different stuff. So, yeah, that's Bodies of Horror. So, I'm curious, how did you um, come up with this idea? Because I think think particularly with the horror genre, it's it's such an interesting topic because – whether we're talking about mental or physical disabilities, there's been a lot of a, a lot of history of horror that hasn't necessarily done well by that. So I'm curious how mm-hmm. how you came about this subject and decided to turn it into a podcast. Well, honestly, it's I guess from a really young age, horror has had a huge meaning to me mm-hmm. in how I've related and how I've talked about my disability. I have uh, used kind of the phrase a handful of times on the podcast, like horror films have kind of become a language for me to talk about my experiences with disability. Because Mm -hmm. from uh, a young age, there were things that I, I didn't know how to articulate. And I would see a horror film and be like, ooh, there's something about this and it's interesting and I can use this to, you know, show my mom and be like, I feel like this sometimes. Yeah, so it kind of got, I guess, the seed planted there. But like you said, physical disability and mental health 
horror is a really interesting genre because it never shies away from talking about all of the complicated facets of these things. And in doing so, sometimes it hits some really interesting marks and says something really powerful. And then sometimes it's not great. And But there's still a lot to kind of take away and talk about um, because I think those are just as, I think, potent representations. I'm, I'm curious, since you've, you've gone through a number of films throughout time, I'm just I'm curious, have you seen a change in the way disabilities are reflected in horror films or is there still a lot of work to do? Oh, sure. I mean, I think horror has a unique way of being very reflective of society in certain kind of cultural touch points at various times. A lot of films kind of do that, but I think horror does it in a very interesting and special way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that depending on some of the conversations and, and some of the movements and things that are associated with disability that are happening, you can kind of see some of that reflected. You know, in talking about the taking of Deborah Logan, one thing that I've seen so much more uh, discussed now is the intersection of age and disability. So Alzheimer's and other kind of age-related uh, conditions and diseases, we're starting to see more and more kind of horror films talk about them and talk about them from a place of not just the individual, but also the family, the caregivers, and how it's more of that community of care around them and the impacts that these conditions can have. And so obviously, as we we learn more about ourselves, our bodies, how they work, new diseases every day, you know, that all has different, I think, ramifications in how down the line it will play in horror. I'm really interested in how the pandemic will Mm. end up really being reflected. There's obviously films that have touched on it, but I, I think that that's still to come. And so it'll be really interesting to see how how that's impacted. Well, I, I do. I remember when when we talked about the taking of Deborah Logan, not to keep referencing our discussion that Terry was not a part of. Um, but we had a really good conversation about the representation of caregivers and the experience of caregiving too. And I think that is such an interesting, like you mentioned, like the intersection of looking at community and disability, and like what the and what caregiving looks like and the effects of caregiving and. I think there really is such an expansion of what horror is showing and being more open to talking about. I feel like disability is not as hidden, I feel like, as in previous, like, like, iterations and decades of genres. But I'm curious from your perspective, like, what are some of your favorite movies in terms of representing disability in the horror space? Like, are there any that you really think... Are like prime examples of that? So an interesting one that I actually saw recently um, and talked about on the podcast. I'm a little hazy on when I would have seen it originally. I think I had seen the entire thing, but I can't be for sure. Monkey Shines. I've actually never seen Monkey Shines. It goes to some places 
But what I found really fascinating about that was that it was hitting on a few different topics that are, I think, are, you know, for that time were not as explicitly discussed. Um, it was a film that was actually boycotted by oh. a disability rights organization. They hadn't seen the movie. They were boycotting oh. the, the imagery behind it, like the poster art, because I think especially it was the image of like a toy monkey in a wheelchair. Huh. I remember like reading a lot about it. I was really like familiar with the work of the group. And watching the film, I'm like, huh, there's some interesting stuff here. It doesn't, like, I think we've come a long way in, in certain discussions, but, you know, it has some really interesting scenes of parental relationships when you depend on a parent, when you're an adult mm. and you depend on a parent for care, how that alters and shakes and shifts that relationship, romantic relationships, how mm. if you've gone through some kind of accident, sudden illness, that can be a huge blow to a relationship. And it can make you feel really shaky in terms of how you define yourself in that space. So I actually really, really like it for, for I think, those components. But also films like A Quiet Place, I think, is amazing because it's mm, yes. a disabled mm. actor. And it's in a world where her disability isn't kind of like her her Achilles heel. It's it's an interesting structure and especially when you pair that with the sequel and you realize that this was a family that had communicated via sign language primarily together and, you know, just that kind of inclusive element, I thought is really cool. And I think that that's something especially that we're seeing more and more now is disabled actors actually playing disabled characters i would just love to know how you got into horror in general i know you you said that horror like really helped give you kind of a language to talk about like your experiences but how did you get introduced to the genre so i have an older sister okay. as these stories <laughs> tend to go yep and i remember uh she would babysit me uh, occasionally and she would have some friends over uh -huh. and they would watch movies and when our living room was set like we grew up in a really small house so like it was just this big open doorway between the living room and the kitchen and okay. there was one little space that i could sit by the stove have a view of the tv but if i got too scared i could just like slowly turn and I would be okay and I was able to hide from my sister and she would know I was there sometimes and so it was a win-win and I saw lots of movies that way also just it was always a big treat when we would go to like I don't know the city like Des Moines or something and when we would go and visit Wait, relatives where, where did you grow up so I grew up in southwest Iowa so okay we, I live in so Nebraska Okay, yeah, so I grew up in the little corner kind of between Nebraska and uh, Missouri. Okay. So when we would take trips, we'd be like, oh, we get to go and rent movies. And I would just be transfixed by, like, the box art. And I would always talk my sister into, like, renting 
like something super scary and then hiding so I could watch it. But yeah, so it was a lot of that. And then once I got a little bit older, you know, stuff would pop up on cable and I kind of started going down my own little routes of discovering different horror films for myself. I tell you, older siblings are the best. I was the older sibling. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say my sister was the best, but I learned <laughs> so much from her. How much older? What's the, what's the age difference between the two of you? Uh, she's six years older. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of like my age because I, I was eight years older. I'm eight years older than my brother. So uh, yeah. that's that's like the perfect age to where they're watching more adult movies and then little kids can maybe join in on the fun. Yeah, but it was really interesting because like my mom, you know, at some point, my sister was never really like she watched like it's what you would watch when you would have friends over, you know, your slumber party fair. But when I started really getting into horror, like my mom would watch it with me. Like I remember watching Nightmare on Elm Street 2 one night with her while like folding the laundry. And she's oh. like, oh, she's like, this is a film that we have watched and it is great. And I'm like, this is the best movie ever. I'm like, I never want to ride the bus again. So scary. <laughs> so what was the first uh, horror movie you ever saw? That's a good question. I want to say maybe Friday the 13th. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's always it's always so hard to like think back, but like, is that the one that you remember particularly? I think that's like the first one that I remember like actually like watching at a really really young age. Um, we got this big box. We had this neighbor that moved, and they had this big box of VHS tapes. These were copied movies. I think some were caught. I don't think any were actually copied from. TV, like these were all like just copied from somewhere. Yep. A bunch of them were not labeled. Oh, and hell yeah. Very found footage movie starting. <laughs> I know. And for some reason, this was fine with my mom. My mom's like, yeah, okay. Box of unmarked VHS tapes. Pop in the VHS player. That is a dangerous uh, roulette game right there. Yeah. I remember Friday the 13th being on on that, and I know that Slumber Party Massacre was on there. Okay. And I'm going to mess up the name. Uh, Psychomania, which is about a group of zombie bikers. Oh. Yeah. It was, I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Yeah. Something like Psychomania. I'm probably forgetting the title, but that really stood out to me, too. But, huh. you know, if you have someone that is kind enough to give you a huge box of unmarked tapes adventure is yours adventure is yours uh oh, shit i love a time where we just popped in a unmarked vhs tape and we're just like yeah fine it's fine who fucking knows it'll be great nothing weird could be oh, on yeah. this at all yeah and then sometimes you find something that is not a movie in the normal yeah. sense thankfully that <laughs> never happened <laughs> and it was actually like a pretty good array like there were like, the original Bedazzled was on there, and I remember thinking that was kind of a hot jam. Your neighbor had good taste. <laughs> it was wild. He was a cop. So it there were so many possibilities of how this could go, and it was uh -huh. fine. It was fine. So 
what kind of uh, horror did you kind of gravitate to as a kid? Did you have like a certain subgenre or type of horror that you enjoyed watching? I think that I started, I, I, I think when I was really kind of under the tutelage of my sister, uh, we were pretty, pretty straight and narrow slasher fair. Okay. But then once I started like actually exploring different films on my own, uh, definitely went towards body horror. Oh, okay. Mm, okay. What? Yeah. What do you remember? Like some of the the body horror movies that you would gravitate towards? The Fly was. Yeah. I mean, Cronenberg uh, was huge. Society. Oh man. Yeah, I watched that at a ridiculous age, and I still don't understand it. Um. <laughs> But yeah, like body horror was really a thing and, and something that I still really, I think, uh, lean into, um, especially because I think from a disability uh, perspective, I think it's just a really rife subgenre for that kind of discussion. Yeah. And it's really exciting now to see, you know, I think there's, you know, you've got the Cronenbergs who really, I think, create kind of story and worlds around body horror that incorporate it and it's very interesting and kind of textured and layered. And then you also have body horror that's just like, hey, let's see some organs. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. But Cronenberg was definitely like a huge entry point for me in that. Well, what's my favorite body horror now? I mean, besides, obviously Cronenberg is still a favorite, I'm assuming, but like, are there, what are other body horror films that you've really found and loved as like in the subgenre honestly films like raw mm. i think are so great oh, yes. because again it's using body horror and such a compelling way i think that director's work is phenomenal um because obviously very much in keeping with that idea of just complicated relationships with our bodies and identity it's all very interesting but you know Cronenberg's son Brandon I think has really came in and I think followed his dad's path a bit and then mm -hmm. kind of re oh yeah framed it a little bit to really be talking more specifically about uh identity which I really love exploring too so yeah those are Hell I think yeah. now is a really interesting and cool time for body horror. I yeah. like seeing the the various corners that we're exploring. Yeah. Going back to when you were a kid, and I know you mentioned this with like Nightmare on Elm Street too. Were you a scared kid? Like, were you easily scared watching horror movies? I'm going to say no, but I absolutely was. <laughs> <laughs> because I had night terrors. Oh, okay. It was always the same one when I was really young like when I was really like getting really into horror and that was like what I wanted to watch all the time I had the same nightmare of Freddy Jason Michael Myers uh Chucky like Chucky was always like a low-key phase because he was the one that I was like you know what I don't think I could take Chucky in a fight but it would be so much more even matched and that excited me because i'm like i could i have a chance i could take I chucky 
But I always had this nightmare of like the whole crew. I would wake up. My bed was underneath a window. And I had the same nightmare. I'd wake up and they would all be standing outside my window. Wow. Then they would just all smile at me and walk right to our front door, which I could see from my window because it was just right there. And by the time I could get out of bed and run, they were inside and they had killed my mom and my sister. Jesus. So that was my my nightmare. That's actually horrifying. Fuck that. Yeah. How and did that go on for a while? Yeah. I had like variations of that dream for like until I think I was like twelve or thirteen. Holy shit. Oh wow. My God. Yeah. It was And all of them? That's fucked up. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> They're all getting in on it. Good yeah. lord. Yeah. Because I mean we grew up in like rural area. We didn't <laughs> lock our doors. And so I'd yeah. be like, oh no, our door's not locked. They can come in. And so I would try to get out of bed and get down the hallway and they would be inside and they had made their way to Oh my god. Good god. Damn. Yeah. It's always those things where you're like, I wasn't scared, but then when I went to bed, my subconscious let the fear <laughs> go yeah. very quickly. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. Oh my god. So wow. Therapy. Wow. It's good. It works. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Do do you get scared now as an adult watching horror movies? Not really. I think we can all kind of be unsettled by something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can usually turn that off a little bit and have some kind of feeling of not all consumed. Uh, can't sleep. Clowns will eat me. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> but I think it all depends, too, on the situation. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm you know, at home by myself, dark night, weird sounds. It's going to be a little bit spookier. I may get a little more jazzed up, but yeah, I don't think I I necessarily get scared. Can you remember the last movie, though, that did scare you or that reminded you of being a kid? That reminded me of being a kid? Watching um, a horror movie or that feeling? I, oh, that's, that's a really great question. I think the last movie that I remember, like, feelingly scared was probably The Strangers. Okay. That's a good one. That one's one's terrifying. I think you're going to be really hard-pressed to find people that aren't unsettled by home invasion, someone sneaking into your home, things like that. So it's unsettling, and I think that it's also just kind of gets at those root things and i would say that that's probably one that whenever i watch you can kind of go back to that place and it reminds me also of being a kid and that fear Mm. of oh my door isn't locked and bad things will happen yeah that's a good one that is a good one um okay nicole we have talked about your horror history and your podcast but what movie did you bring with you today Mm. your scarred for life pick (laughs) (laughs) i brought (laughs) <laughs> Dr. Giggles. You sure fucking did. <laughs> and for the <laughs> unfamiliar, Dr. Giggles. It's a madman who believes he's a doctor comes to the town where his crazy father was killed and soon begins murdering people and becoming infatuated with a teenage girl 
who has a heart condition. Boy, <laughs> this movie. Boy, I, howdy. <laughs> I, I have a feeling I know one of the parts that might have jumped out at you as a kid, but I have to know. Take us back. How old were you? How did you see this movie? What about it scared you? Give us your horror story. Okay. So I saw this one. This was a rental. This was a slumber party, a couple of friends over thing. However, I was introduced to the magic, the mystery, the mayhem of Diggs. <laughs> I went to a movie. Kids. So we had a movie theater in the small town that was near us. And it was like one of those kind of almost like second run theaters where it's like family movies that have been out for two years mm -hmm. and it is the theater that will continue to play them and only play Muppets Christmas uh, in the <laughs> right. month of December. But I remember going to a movie there and seeing the poster because they always mm. had posters for stuff that they would never show, which was ridiculous to me. I could not conceptualize this, but I remember seeing this poster in a little rhyme, if you live in more high and you get sick, get down on your knees and pray you die quick. And I was like, Dr. Giggles, I'm like, this sounds wild. I will <laughs> see it someday. And then <laughs> I did. That, yeah, that was my kind of like intro. But yeah, when I was in middle school, mm -hmm. I was part of a consolidated school district. And so. We all went to like these different super small elementaries and then we came together in like middle school and high school. Mm -hmm. It was my first time being around this other group of kids because I had grown up in a di like when we moved to Iowa because I was born in Nebraska. Oh, OK. We lived in a neighboring town. And so I went to elementary there and then I got to be with the actual then we moved towns and then I went to school with the other kids when I was in middle school. So Dr. Giggles was interesting because these girls that I was just getting to know, they're like, oh, well, why don't you bring a movie for us to watch? And I was like, cool. So I'm like, I'm going to be the most awesome person. And they're going to love me. So I rented this movie because I had also, in reading like the box or something about it, it said that, you know, it's about, a heart surgeon and I have a heart condition. I would have to go on heart monitors for periods of time for like testing, just like in the movie. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be really cool. And I can use this to kind of be like, yeah, so this is why I have a heart monitor sometimes. Wow. That's, that's a lot going into this, just even without what happens in the movie. That's, that's a, a lot. Because, like, yeah. that is an important part of this movie. And it's also kind of horrifying when you think about it. So so you, you wanted to impress these girls. You took this movie. Yeah. What happened? Well, we watched it. And they did not appreciate the nuance. <laughs> uh, the subtlety, the nuance of what So much subtlety in this movie. Yeah. So, no, I mean, they were kind of like... Why? Like, <laughs> why did you, like, what is this movie? And 
did you need to bring it? Why did you bring it? Because you could have just like talked to us about things and <laughs> we wouldn't have had to watch this. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, but we've learned so much by doing this. And are we even better friends? We didn't come together after this. They didn't join us together. No, and I wasn't able to take movies over there for (laughs) Not until in high school when people would come over to my place to watch movies. And then I would be like, you have no say. (laughs) No choice. No agency. I will subject you to whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. but My house, my rules. When I would be invited, they're like, and... You bring chips. <laughs> so, <laughs> was there were there other movies that you guys watched that night, or was this like the the movie for the night? No, this was Do like the movie. The movie for the night. Yeah, <laughs> that is amazing. Do you remember in particular like the scene that like you lost them on? <laughs> I mean, I think the scene that really took some some of them out was the uh, reenactment of him coming out of his mom's corpse. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They're like, uh-huh. no. They're like, that. Like, what is that? What is happening? And I was just really like, the scene that I struggled the most with was when she takes the heart monitor and puts it in the fish tank. Those things are so expensive. And you can't do that. Like, these are hooked up to sensors and the doctors will be mad. And then they will kill you. Like, then any doctor will kill you. Then it doesn't have to be Dr. Giggs. It can be any doctor. Yeah, any surgeon. They Like, they probably would have been like, well, you need to have this valve replacement now, but we're not going to do it because you fucked up your monitor. So <laughs> you don't respect the machinery. We don't respect your machinery. We bid you good day. It does <laughs> make sense. I get why that moment would would traumatize you but i do think it's very funny that we have a scene in which a kid is literally ripping himself out of his mom's belly and this is the scene that like affected you yeah Love it really that. did I, that's hilarious i thought about it a lot but yeah the the corpse thing was really i think the deal breaker for the <laughs> other people they were like no this is not not this cool is, this is not it. yeah this is not the film that we thought. <laughs> I mean, it has such a happy title, Dr. Giggles. Like, it could be yeah. in another universe, this is like an Eddie Murphy, <laughs> Professor Doolittle type of movie in another universe. Imagine if they remake it and they go that route. What? You have one ticket at least right now. I'm ready to see it. Remake it with John Mulaney. What Ooh. would that be like? Like, not so much giggling, more just like uncomfortable processing which probably would have benefited gigs at some point you know it probably would have although i have to say that i loved his giggle in this movie his giggle it's really good is a plus and it's shockingly natural yeah if it doesn't feel like no nothing about this movie is natural but that's like the most Actual. There's a lot you could say about this movie, but uh, I have to say that Larry Drake's performance as Dr. Giggles is A+. Oscar-worthy it's performance. so good. It's fantastic. And, like, the giggle that he, like, can make without moving, like, even moving his mouth, it's just, like, he's just so creepy. And the way he can, the way he's able to deliver, like, have a heart and throw a heart at someone deadpan and just, like, complete, it's just 
the vibes are so weird in this movie and he just encapsulates how weird the vibes are so well exactly. and I adore it like he's just going full like this is in- this is ridiculous and we're gonna just we're gonna just go with it and I appreciate that about his performance so much yeah. and sometimes like it is it is interesting because there are times where he delivers there's I don't know you stop counting after like 6,000 but there's at least that many medical puns I will say I started writing them down and I quit because (gasps) I was like there's too many I I was writing them down (laughs) cutting edge of medicine let's open this baby up like (laughs) just uh, where's the other one laughter's the best medicine checkout time (laughs) the the lines the lines are great but there was so many that I was like I, I can't write them all down yeah but some of them he delivers in like a perfect deadpan of whatever and then there are some that he he's like all right i'm saying this because i truly would i'm being that i'm being that person right now and i'm gonna fuck with you so i appreciate i appreciate the range well especially when he pulls out the medical instruments that he's made like his fucked up like (laughs) this is like low rent dead ringers like maybe i thought of dead ringers with like the fucked up doctors with their weird medical devices that are just like torture devices and he yeah. just hey, no out. spoilers. I haven't watched it yet. Well, it's not really a spoiler. It's like the consent. It's like <laughs> the conceit kidding. of the whole movie. Um, but <laughs> they, the way that he delivers the lines when he's about to kill someone, and like he knows he's handing it up, is just so good. Like when he puts when it's the um, it is the woman with the heart condition's father's girlfriend, and he's like pump it out and like pumps her stomach, and it's just. So, and like on top of that, the kills in this are fucking brutal. Like, so different. They really commit to the doctor bit so well in how the kills, yeah. I will say. Like, the kills in this are a fucking plus. Well, and what's interesting about the, the medical devices is that they're not like these completely wacky things. Like, yeah. they're just exaggerated versions of actual tools yeah and i think that that you know i think for me like as a kid with a disability going to the doctor was fucking horrifying yeah because you have no autonomy you usually don't know what's what you're going to be in store for you just know that it's going to be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and you're going to be poked prodded and whatever and I think on a logical level, you trust the doctors and you trust your guardian, your parents, whomever is with you to keep you safe and and nothing bad will happen. But there's always that it's horrifying that the simplest tool can be really horrifying when you're a kid and you don't know what it's going to do, where it's going to go. This film actually does, I think, a really interesting way of playing with that. With these tools because they're they're what you would see anywhere but they're just this exaggerated death version of them well and i also think this film handles and i'm curious nicole your perspective on this but like on how like jennifer how they tackle jennifer's heart condition and how they do have her like throwing the heart monitor into the tank and showing her frustration and, and showing her going to the doctor multiple times and how it really affects her life 
I think we don't really see horror movies grapple with, especially from the 80s like this and like how they Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, it's not perfect, but in showing her having a disability and not just, you know, and again, like they use it for some weird shit at the end in terms of like the mom and him felt like it's all very strange, but at the same time, it's like interesting how they have her, especially as a teenage girl, having more of that depth as like the final girl of a horror movie. It's interesting. Yeah, I think on a a very specific level i think it does go to places that you don't typically see in terms of like especially as a teenager it's you like you just want to have friends and and yeah fit in not necessarily like you just want to have like your groups and feel good about yourself and feel like you aren't i don't know um especially with a disability that you're not just this weirdo Mm -hmm. you see this i think explained and and kind of played with in a couple of different ways one is in her relationship with her boyfriend because she Uh can't drink she can't have sex and this is what you teenagers must do in horror films especially in horror movies yeah you just have to and she's like no she only does that for like five minutes but she's very (laughs) committed for those five minutes that's hard because there were certain things that I couldn't do that uh-huh. sucked and that I felt like was a drain. And even now, you know, COVID is kind of like a flashback to all of that to where it's being immunocompromised. I have yeah. lived a very hey, kind of different existence than yeah. some of my friends. But I, I think there's that component dealing with like, I there are things that I want to do. I want to you know, do these things that kids my age are doing and I can't, and that's a struggle. And then also I think the physical aspects of like the heart monitor, she has a couple of lines about, you know, I've got this new fashion accessory and Mm. like I had a feeding pump in high school and I wore it in a backpack and it was there and annoying. And again, it was just something that made me feel like I stuck out even more Mm. and was a thing that I had to navigate and worry about, like, where it was, what it was doing. So I I like that it actually does at least touch on it. I don't, it's, it's Dr. Giggles. It doesn't, it's not trying to write <laughs> a, a journal article about it, but I'm happy that it's at least folded into the character. We have a disabled final girl, which is pretty cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. A final girl with a disability. Like, I love that shit. It's just cool. It's just cool to see that, especially in the 80s. Like, yeah, it's not going to be perfect, but it did something that not a lot of movies were doing. And and it's Dr. fucking Giggles. You know, like, it's this movie that, like, is inherently ridiculous. But we have, like, we're grappling with disability a little bit more in depth than most other movies. And I'm like, you know what, Dr. Giggles? Not a bad movie. (laughs) Like, between the camp and the kills, it's actually pretty good i had a great time watching this movie it's really fun (laughs) it it is a lot of fun and i do remember so um this was my first watch for it as well but i do remember um seeing this movie the 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 vhs cover in the you know the vhs store all the time and i remember being horrified by it because like i had I have I had chronic um, asthma as a kid, and I it's 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 gotten a whole lot better. But um, as a kid, particularly when I was living, we were living in Alaska at the time, and I'm allergic to pine trees. So you put pine trees, Alaska 
asthma, overweight kid who's trying to like go outside. And every time they wanted like gym class wanted us to go outside and run, I would come back almost dying because like I were running through the wilderness and there's fucking pine trees. And I'm not realizing because I didn't was not diagnosed for having an allergy to pine trees. We found that out over a few years of Christmases where my parents <laughs> were like, why is he always sick in at Christmas time? And then it became like I found out. And so I and would end up being rushed to we lived in a small town, Eagle River, outside of Anchorage, about a 20 minute drive to Anchorage. That's where the big hospital was. And so when I was a kid and I would have an asthma attack, my parents would be rushing me to this big hospital in Anchorage to be put on their big vent ventilating inhaler type thing. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a lot of time um, in that chair taking like the little breathing in and, and trying to open up my lungs for little, for a lot. So like I had a very fraught relationship with doctors <laughs> my, my yeah. entire childhood because it was really bad. And then when I remember seeing this, this poster and seeing, you know, like the, the, there was one tagline, um, there's, there's a couple taglines for this movie, but one is like the doctor is in sane or the doctor is out <laughs> of his mind. Right. So there's like all of this. And I, and I kept thinking, I don't like doctors as it is. And this doctor is killing people. And I didn't, I, I had no like foresight to know that this is a man who is not a doctor who is pretending to be a doctor. But like, in my mind, it was like this idea, like I go see a doctor almost every week, it seems like. Yeah. And you're telling me the doctor could kill me? Like that, that is what my little mind would, would come up with this entire time. And so I, I never saw this. However, I was also really big into comic books and I saw that there was a comic book of Dr. Giggles and that made me even more terrifying because the comic book cover from like the, in the early, I think there was like maybe a run of a couple comics, like three from Dark Horse, because this is a Dark Horse production. Yeah. And uh, oh, that's right. They made a comic afterwards and the comic covers were pretty, pretty gnarly. Um, and so I remember seeing that in some of my mind, I'm seeing the, com the, the comic book cover of like this really kind of gross covered. I don't remember exactly remember what it was, but I think there was like blood and maybe someone was decapitated or someone had oh, cut yeah. open. Oh, someone doesn't have a head. Oh yeah. Yep, yeah. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing that before I saw the, the movie. And so I, you know, I put the two and two together and I was like, this is horrifying. I can never see this movie. Here we are. I'm 42 and I finally have seen Dr. Giggles. <laughs> Okay, one of the covers is him just like sewing someone's eyeball shut. It's that's horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. But horrific. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's really interesting, and thank you for you know, sharing a little bit about your experience as a kid. Of course. Because I think that one of the things that's so interesting to me about these types of films is that we're really like getting into like the uh, you know, the trope of, like, <laughs> the mad doctor, the mad scientist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something that is still so interwoven um, in our society of fear of doctors, of uh, of science, of, mm -hmm. of that kind of medical advancement and progress. Because there's a, you know, kind of built into the dad's plot line. The Dr. Giggs origin is truly a film in and of itself. It you really could make is. that movie and yeah. it would be something. I'd watch that prequel, honestly. I'm not a big prequel person, but maybe that one I might watch. 
Because it goes from zero to 70 in about four seconds. <laughs> um, and it's, again, you a doctor that starts out well-intended and is super smart and amazing and has these really fantastic ideas and is going to revolutionize uh, cardiology and cardiac surgery. And then his wife gets sick. And he then decides that could continue on that path or I could just kill a lot of people and take out their hearts. I take option B. And I'm going to teach my son the ways. Yeah. And I, I don't know. There's something really, uh, really interesting about that kind of aspect of seeing a doctor start out fine and yeah. then murder doctor. <laughs> what I do love about those flashbacks is that in particular, like when the, the very first time we get a flashback and it's and it's little Evan, little Dr. Giggs cutting open his teddy bear and doing like surgery on his teddy bear and the father comes home. I was like, Oh, is this going to be one of those things where father was a doctor and was abusive to the kid and the kid told him you're never yeah. going to be a doctor. And it's, this is why we have him going on a killing spree. Is that what's going on here? And I was so happy to see that it sidesteps that very obvious trope for one in which they mm -hmm. have a really caring relationship. It's, it's weird to say, considering that the father is a murderer and puts his kid inside the body of his wife for him to escape. Like it's, it's horrifying and it's twisted, but Dumb. they have such a nice relationship that I was really surprised because I was literally about ready to, as I was typing my notes ready, right? Oh God, here we have another abuse story of a father who's mean to his, his son. And that's why his son mm. is, has turned mm. fucked up. And that's not what we get here. And I do like the idea. <laughs> what we get is even more fucked up, which is it, I mean, it really incredible. is incredible. But but like, <laughs> it's amazing. You know what I mean? Like they took it a step further to a place where you're like, you know, what's even fucking scarier that they were really BFFs while they were doing it. And like, I love that. And again, but and it also like shows a different kind of relationship between a father and son that's not like <laughs> horrendously abusive. So once again, Doctor Giggles. <laughs> What the fuck? Yeah, and I also, then you get into the whole connective tissue of why he's obsessed uh, with this teenager yes. because she has the same heart condition as his mother and he will be the one to save her. And so he doesn't, I don't know, <laughs> like there's a, there's some hemming and hawing about like, I don't want to kill her. I just want to fix her and i'm like no you pretty much want to kill her but we'll watch it because it will be entertaining we're <laughs> gonna have some puns we are gonna have a lot of puns but the other thing with that whole situation that i found really refreshing is the fact that he doesn't seem to have like it's not a sexual thing for her mm -hmm. because when i was reading all i knew is what I what I saw as a kid, and then reading the IMDb synopsis, which we shared, where he where it says becomes infatuated with a teenage girl. When you use those words, an older man is infatuated with a teenage girl. I thought we're gonna have another sleazy kind of gross type. That's of also yeah. what situation. I was expecting. I was like, oh Jesus Christ, a ninety a movie from nineteen ninety two with a teen like. Great. And that's not what we I get. I love being wrong. I love being wrong. <laughs> Me too. Because it's all because his mom died from a heart condition. And in his mind, he wants to fix her. 
because he couldn't fix his mom and his mom died. And that's really tragic. And I will say this is a universal movie. This is a universal monster movie from the 1990s. This is their attempt to do another universal monster movie because it has a similar sort of like tragicness to him. He's a little bit sillier, but if you really think about it, it's basically like Frankenstein and he's trying to create his Frankenstein's monster and the villagers have turned against him and his father. Like this is a Frankenstein story here. We have another universal monster movie from 1992. Yeah. Case closed. Yeah. That's. I can't drop my mic, but I'm dropping my mic. Get up. Pop it up. We're done. That's a really brilliant i think take on it because yeah especially with the dad the dad is killed by the townspeople mm-hmm. because he's been killing people and taking out their house i mean and they're, no. and they're <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like you know that's not great <laughs> might have had it coming yeah, however but, like you killed my mom and he's like yeah but my wife died so i win I like it's it's a really interesting way to kind of lay that foundation and it does take it to different places. You do get like the friend characters that are really nothing in the movie. If there's if there's like a real pain point, I think those characters do so little and mean so little to the actual story that like we we literally don't get any sense of like our main final girls dynamic with really any of them yeah i know roger ebert has like got a lot of flack for you for the pejorative term of saying it's a dead teenager movie but this is literally a dead teenager movie where the teenagers do not have any character they do not really have any agency i don't even really believe that they're all really friends because of how mean they are to each other (laughs) like i'm like this isn't a real friendship this is i don't know what this is and i always watch these movies and i'm like thank god my friend group is not like this because like they don't seem to care about anyone they get locked in that two of them get locked in the in the room and i don't really know why that happened like it doesn't even seem like that funny of a joke are you is it are you trying to like force a a situation between the two of them what is happening why did you pickaxe them into this closet in in this old creepy house that by the way reminded me of the of um the of freddy krueger's house well nancy's yeah. house and later later episodes where it's all run down and it's boarded mm-hmm. up and everything like these aren't real friends and i think that always like <laughs> bugs me in a lot of these movies where we do have friendships where I'm like, in real life, you would not be friends because they don't even have that sort of like frenemy vibe. It's just they're just rude to each other. There's like no connection. Yeah, it's it's almost like they don't even know know each other, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone except for kind of that main couple, you know, they're basically just sent off to die and play that out. and. I don't know. I I think that it it take a little bit of time and actually create some relationships. Have a couple of scenes where the people are together and they're having conversations. We're learning a little bit about the history of their relationships because then it makes the kills, I think, a little bit more zingy. Mm-hmm. Um, they mean something a little bit more as opposed to just a dead teenager thing. Now it's all uh, pinned on how awesome Dr. Giggles can make it. And he does make it awesome all the time. He really does. But he's working so hard. 
He's working so hard. He's carrying this entire movie he on is, his back. I was going to say, he is honest. carrying this movie on his back. Because again, I was like, this is one of those movies where I was like, where's Dr. Giggles? Like, where's the kill? Like, I don't, like, especially when they go into the house and it's like, there's, is it three couples or two couples? I'm so, I like, I'm t- but in the house, there's, there's two couples. Mm-hmm. There's the couple that's a black woman and a black man. And guess what? They're killed first. Great. Love that stereotype. <laughs> but like, again, we don't really know who these people are. They're just there to like, get stuck in the house, get ready to fuck and then get murdered like very quickly. And it's just, it's, it's a vehicle for Dr. Giggles. And you know what? That's okay. I'm not mad about it, but, 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 but but it's true. Like they try, they do, but they do make it seem like they want there to be more of a, like attention with like her, like her boyfriend cheating on her with this other girl and all of that. And I was like, I don't care about that. Like, I don't really know. I barely know anyone's name. Like, I don't really know who any of you are. Like, I don't care about that drama as much. And that, to me, was when I was like, mm, you missed miss the mark on that one, maybe a little. Yeah. And I think there's just, with all of the relationships in the film, I think it's just really kind of, a lot of them are just devices to get a kill. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and. You know, I I kind of agree that at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because I don't think the film really presents itself as much more. I think, yeah, it wants you to think that there's these, you know, this interesting friend group that this girl has this really complicated relationship with her dad's new girlfriend. Great point. That was barely addressed. There's like one scene where they're fucking in the house, which is like what the fuck and then when he leaves to go find because her heart monitor is in the tank and she's like it's me or her i'm like she's a, she's a heart condition bitch who are you <laughs> what i love is that this is the one note sometimes i will go and i'll i will bold things that i want to make sure so that if i'm skinning through my notes i will key on it the one thing i bolded on here was their conversation where her father says she just lost her mother and tamara's response is you just lost your wife. You adjusted. And I'm like, I know. What? <laughs> I mean, she is. She, is she wrong? Is she wrong? She's not. You're you're absolutely right. She's not wrong. But I'm just it, it's like it just opened up this avenue where it's like, yeah, I don't believe that this is actually real. <laughs> no. And I think we're, it's not it, it's very loosely kind of out there i don't think it's super well defined but she the our, our final girl has the same like had a, maybe the same or a similar condition to her mom yeah what is going and, on in this town by the way that every that like we have like a lot of people with the same heart condition i know like, are we all related like what's going on like is there something weird going on here like yeah. what the fuck is happening like What's going on? We need Aaron Brockovich to go do some oh we do. investigating Please. of water sources and <laughs> all sorts of things because it's not right. But it's not right. you would think too, like that's interesting mm-hmm. and is kind of a, a thing for that father daughter relationship. The dad just lost his wife to condition X. Now his daughter has it. And how that's got to really fuck with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead, he's like, well, sorry, I didn't go to your doctor's appointment. I had to do spreadsheets. And now I've got to go fuck this person. Um, <laughs> bang my new girlfriend. Yeah, but don't drink or have fun. 
love you, bye. Don't do what I do. <laughs> yeah. Isn't she, like, she comes in and she hears them having sex and she's like, cool, I just ruined everybody's plans. And I was like, oh, just want a hugger. Like, Jesus Christ, this poor girl. Before Dr. Giggles even decides to hyperfixate on her, she's just like, yeah. Then that teenage angst. And they don't, they could go so much more into the teenage angst, but I feel it. I feel it with her character a little bit. Yeah. And then you have the boyfriend that is just. <sighs> fuck you. It, gross. Go fuck yourself. And then at the end, when she kisses him, I yelled at my computer. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And my husband, Steve, was like, what's going on? I'm like, she's fucking getting back with the guy who cheated on her because she couldn't fuck. What is this goddamn movie? Okay, but it's it's Mark Healy from Roseanne. I had such a crush on this man. I don't give a fuck. I had such a crush on this man growing up. Because he yeah, was in, I, I hadn't seen this movie, but had seen Roseanne, <laughs> where he is a character on it. And not I was like, great, ooh. Not a great partner in that. No, he's not a great partner. As well. So I, yeah, I, he, again, though, I think that that's kind of a, an interesting thing because yeah. you, I mean, in high school, you do define yourself by the like relationships in ways that you transition out of as you get older or you hope that you do and yet not necessarily because I had basically almost a very similar experience I had my recent valve replacement and like my partner was like yeah well okay it's been real uh yeah it's we had a good time and wow yeah like literally Fuck. i had was home from surgery for i think just maybe a week and they went on like a week and a half trip couldn't lift anything was in a harness but they're like yeah wow gonna go gonna go on the trip and have fun chilling so yeah, I mean, I I kind of felt that sense of, like, not, I mean, like, yeah, it's teenage ink, especially with how it's zoned in on in the movie. Yeah. But, yeah, just this whole, like, what the fuck does this even mean now? Like, am I just going to be this person now that is never going to find someone that is understanding or I can have a conversation about this with? without them deciding to blow it off. And so I do think that that, like, when she, right when she kind of catches him cheating, like, she's pissed off, but she's also just kind of, like, indifferent. Mm. She's like, she is. She's so just, mm-hmm. like, cool. Like, another fucking thing. Like, great. Love yeah. that for me. Yeah. yeah. She's like, I knew it was happening. So more, like, disappointed, but not surprised, obvious. Yeah. So it's... <sighs> Yeah, that, like, I don't know, like, watching it now in my 40s, like, I thought it was, like, oh my god, this is this is so relevant to my life. As, like, a That's teenager, wild. now I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, why? Why is this so? But, yeah, um, I, I found that really interesting, but I don't know. It would be interesting... This would be a film that I would love the idea of someone toying with a remake. Like, mm-hmm. what would you do yeah. with it? That would be. I do. I do want to focus. I do want to mention, and 
circle back to the kid cutting himself out of his mother because <laughs> okay because this this here's the thing i have had a rough few weeks at work and i last night i was trying to watch this movie and i was very distracted and so there was one point where like i was on my on my phone and i looked up to see hands coming out of a woman's stomach and i was like what did I miss? Yeah. <laughs> what did I miss? And so I had to like rewind and I was like transfixed at this kid giggling and literally pulling himself out of his mother's naked dead corpse. And then you find out later that he throws her back up and is- escapes when the, when Magruder wakes up and I'm like, <laughs> this scene is horrifying kind of hilarious in a darkly comedic sense of things, but it is so unlike anything else in this movie yeah. that I was like, what the fuck? Well, and I love how the cop has like lived with this moment mm-hmm. for so That's long. That's an indelible talk about scarred for life moment. That is an indelible scarred for life moment for that cop, for that person. It is, but he, he has some very interesting ways of dealing with it. Of conveying the story to his partner and <laughs> yeah, who no one believes and has the whole thing like solved immediately and no one wants to believe him. But nope. that's how it is. He's like, <laughs> oh, by the way, here's everything that you need to know. And they're like, but we have like 70 more minutes. <laughs> There's so much more movie to have. There's so much more to experience. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, his his fixation on it is so funny to me because he just is like, it's it's like his his Moby Dick. It's his. <laughs> it is. His, it's his white whale. I will find Doctor Giggles and I will kill Doctor Giggles. And because of the moment that has completely fried my brain, yeah, that he's so he's such an entertaining character. And I think you're you spend just enough time with them. Um, yes, that it doesn't mm-hmm. really feel like it's diverting any of the fun, but you're just like, oh, also the townspeople are have been living with this, and they're so you know a little pissed. I also just love the fact that this this kid escapes, is never seen again in Moore High, yeah. ends up in a mental institution, and no one knows that it's Shh. this that these are the two don't. people. Shh, don't worry, <laughs> it's okay. And I'm just. I I was sitting there spending way too much time, Mary Beth, trying to figure out You or me. You what is the logistics me. of this? You I pulled did. Me. I did pull it. You, you pulled a Mary Beth, which is so funny because for this I was like I immediately was like, Nope. I for some for so, we switched places because I was like, nah. As soon as at the beginning where I saw like <laughs> him in the surgery, like in the surgery theater with the uh, with the other patients licking the windows i was like nope we're done we're gonna suspend any kind of logic at one point he someone thinks he's getting a massage or a hug and he lifts the hands up i was like great no i don't care nope logic fuck that nope and i was in i was like everything but can we i want it like a Mythbusters episode to like, <laughs> let's explore this child sewn in to right. Okay, the that I was, I was, I was not sure how he got in, and that I tr- I did think about a little bit too hard because I was like, wait, 
She doesn't look like it, but you would be able to tell if there was a small child inside of the body. Inside he of the body. He wasn't a small child. Like, it, it, he seemed like. Yeah, fair. He's like a 10. He's like a, he's like a, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's a fully, he's a, he's a decent sized child. Ha- yeah, I did think about that and I was like, nope, gotta stop did it. They- <laughs> Don't try. Did they scoop did out go? all of her innards? Like what? How did they not feel that when they lifted her up? Like, right. you would be able to oh, see Oh, she had him. a big meal. Like, what? What? But, like, he's so big. Well, no and her stomach looks just distended. You know, it didn't even look like she was a bigger person or was even pregnant. No. It was literally distended. I'm like, how did we miss this? Well, <laughs> you all kind of deserve this if we are missing this, this kid. Small town, so in- <laughs> he, Did he not move for, like, a right? period of time? Like, how was he breathing? Did they poke holes somewhere for like? I want to talk to that actor so bad who had to emerge if have give birth to himself basically in a weird like have his own birth, his own C section. Like that was a child, like a naked child. I was like, what's yeah. it like? And he's covered in viscera. I'm like, this movie incredible. What is? Yeah. What is happening? Like, how do you prep a kid for that? Be like, all right, so this is the scene where you cut yourself out of your dead mom. Think of it you're going like to be slathered in blood. You're going to be of- giggling like you're insane. Like, just lost it, everything. Going. You're just excited to be here. Pay no attention to her rest as a kid. Yeah, it's a good time. But yeah, none of that made sense. So I want a Mythbusters to really explore how do we like what are what are the components of this because that to me is the upsetting element of that scene is like this is not tom six medically accurate business <laughs> nicholas masterndea if you are listening to this podcast please send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com and let us know what it was like filming this because he only has two credits to his name young evan and dr giggles and then a character named hal in homeward bound the incredible journey like these are his only two credits in 1992 and 1993 so please nicholas if you are scouring the podcast and you come across ooh, dr giggles and i want to listen to it please get in touch with us we would love to have a conversation with you because i gotta know and i have a wild i have a wild assumption about what he would say has scarred him for life. Why? <laughs> I have hypothesis. Yep. yep. And I think we've talked about it. I think he would be like, that was really fucked up. But I got paid for it. Oh, I so- wonder if this is... So I just Googled him and there's a LinkedIn profile and he's and there's a Nicholas Mastandrea who is a PhD director, field medical affairs. Ah. Uh- he is Dr. Giggles. Yeah. And I am so oh, curious right. to know if this is him. Y'all. Oh my god. He is he is Dr. He Giggles. He became Dr. Giggles. He experienced this and then went on to be a doctor. <laughs> I want to just like Give oh, me staff This is on him. Me. This is him. Oh this my is god. him. We found Under him. organizations, Screen Actors Guild, performer, October 1993. As a child actor, I appeared in two major motion pictures. The first is Dr. Giggles. Followed by Homeward Bound. This is him. I have found him. And I want to reach out to him. All right. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Great. 
Can't wait. That's that's horrifying. Wow. <laughs> Uh, well, on that incredible note, do we want to wrap this up and give this a rating out of five? I don't think we can top that, honestly. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Expect an email from me, Nicholas. Big fan of the pod, I bet. Um. <laughs> All right. So, Terry, how many bad medical puns out of five do you give? Oh dr giggles like here's the thing this is not a good movie and yet this is a good movie like (laughs) yes yes i I don't know how to say it like there are moments in this the the scene that i i honestly think is going to be stuck in my head forever is me looking up and seeing the two bloody hands coming out of the woman's body and going wait what did i miss like that is that for me is going to be an indelible image that i will come back to and will probably haunt my dreams for who knows how long this movie's weird. I had a good time watching it. I was a little bit distracted in spots. Um, it's a little slow in spots, but like I think it is, it's fun. It knows what it wants to be. I think it got unfairly maligned by critics who probably didn't know. I think there's a weird, weird angle between like when when things are horror and they're comedy, and I, the response to this on uh, some of the like at that time reviews were like kind of mixed about that. And I don't know. I think this is a lot of fun. I'm surprised that this was a a movie that was released in theaters. I was surprised to see that it was released by Universal Pictures because this does not feel like a movie that Universal Pictures would have released. And for that, I have to give them credit. I'm going to give it three, I think. Bad medical puns. I had fun with this one. Maybe 3.5 if I'm feeling generous. Just cut like one of those arms that he uses in the beginning to give a massage and throw it in there too. Why not? But that's that's me. What about you, Mary Beth? I don't know. I love this movie. I'm going to give it four. I just like, oh, yeah. was really jiving with, I just love, I was very much picking up what it was putting down in terms of ridiculousness. It commits to the bit in a way that I really respect. And yeah, it is very much a, just another dead teenager movie. And there are, it's slow in spots and it's weird as hell, but I don't know. I just like had a real good time watching it and was really entertained and the kills are really good. And I just think it, for the most part knows what it is and i really just had a great time watching how how absolutely ridiculous this movie is so i gotta give it a four nicole you have the final word how many bad medical puns at five do you give dr giggles i give it 15 out of five hell yeah (laughs) i think especially because it created a real dr giggles like sue me for defamation nicholas prove it (laughs) Come for me. Yeah, I need the receipts. Show me your patient logs. <laughs> and tell me where they are. Because I I am doubtful. Um, so that's incredible to me. No, I love this movie. I think it is exactly what you guys have, have hit on. I think horror comedies oftentimes are polarizing because I don't think people can really sit with where they want to go. And I think with a film like Dr. Gills, you just kind of have to set aside any of like your wants or needs of, (laughs) you know, a really good film and be like, what ride are we going on today? And I think it, it's great. Yeah. I love it. Hell yeah. 
Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for joining us and introducing us to Dr. Giggles. And they also thank you for sharing so many like stories about how this effect like, affected you due to your yeah. own experiences like thank you so much for sharing all those stories with us like i appreciate it yeah. where can our listeners find you and um what what do you have to plug for for your podcast what is <laughs> what is an episode that you think people and you cannot say mary best episode what's an episode you think people need to go listen to uh, that is a great question so i would say that one episode that i really enjoyed doing was uh, talking about the movie Hush and the movie A Quiet Place. Mm. I feel like I am in a minority in that I absolutely hate Hush. Oh. I do not like it. I'll give a little bit and say that I think it, it has moments that are impactful as just this home invasion type film. But the way that it handles disability is something else. So I did that episode to kind of talk about like why it's important and why I think it's really great that we're seeing now more disabled actors taking on these roles. Because Millie from A Quiet Place had voiced her disapproval of Hush and said, you know, for A Quiet Place, it was really great because I felt really integrated into the process. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, we were really concerned about, like, the sign language being accurate, you know. And, and I got to, to kind of lead that because it was truly a thought by the filmmakers. So I thought that that was kind of an interesting exploration there. So, yeah. Okay, cool. And where can people find you? Oh, um. <laughs> You can find me at uh, Anatomy of a Screen. I also um, am now occasionally one of the hosts over at the Alter Tapes. Yeah. So we're talking about a bunch of short films, which is very interesting because it is absolutely, I think, mind-blowing and very uh, underappreciated how filmmakers can cram so much in a incredibly short runtime. Um, and then any socials to tag for people to follow you? Oh yeah. Um I am on Twitter, Twixt, X as Bodies Horror. Um I'm also on Blue Sky, uh, uh Bodies of Horror. I checked that. I gotta get into the habit of checking that more. Yeah, so do I. I'm really bad about checking it. Yeah, I have made sure finally that my notifications are on, so I actually see if something is happening. So I feel like we're taking steps. We're taking steps. Um, I'm just not very social media. It's very taxing sometimes. So oh yeah, um, oh yeah. But yeah, that's where you can find me online. Cool. Hell yeah. Sweet. Well, listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Tell us about your experience watching Dr. Giggles, this incredible underrated movie that I now want everyone to see. Um, you can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, especially if you are <laughs> the actor that we want to get in touch with. Or <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter. Um, I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm McKaylee Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast and also on Instagram and Blue Sky at Scarred for Life Podcast. 
And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we are on Patreon. I don't know if you can hear my cat purring really fucking loud, but thank you to Mm -hmm. Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.